That's Mark 1 from verse 21 to 28. This is God's word. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. We thank God for his holy and inerrant word. Um, well, if you want to keep uh, your Bibles open at, uh, at, at Mark 1, uh, I'm going to hopefully explain uh, this passage to you uh, along the lines of three points. The first one being Jesus exercises great authority. Secondly, Jesus' authority is shocking. Uh, and then lastly, Jesus' authority brings great freedom. And uh, perhaps before we do that, let me just pray for us once more and then we'll, uh, we'll get going. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would come and by the work of your Holy Spirit, exercise great authority amongst us do that as your word is being read and declared and preached and explained we pray father that as your authority comes amongst us it will be shocking it will be disturbing it will be disrupting our country pray for us once more and, uh, we will do this uh, knowing father that you when you disrupt us when you unsettle us you want to bring us to great confidence. You want to bring us to great liberation. Uh, you want to show us all that you've accomplished for us in your son. And so we pray that uh, we will have this great confidence in your name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus exercises great authority. Uh, I don't know if you've had this experience before in your life, but I grew up in a rough place. Now I've got friends, uh, family members who's probably listening on this stream as well, and they know uh, the town I came from, the school I came from, is a good school, uh, good teachers, and from time to time we'll have student teachers who come and teach at the school. Now, for the others on the stream that uh, work at schools, so I'm thinking particularly of uh, of my colleague Intai and, uh, and and James and Iona and others that have been uh, that are regularly exposed to to to, to uh, uh, children's teaching and student teachers. They can quickly see that the children. Uh, they know when teachers don't have the authority in the room. They can just feel when teachers don't have the authority in the room. And I can remember one day when we were as a bunch of teenagers, quite arrogant, quite cocky with uh, the student teacher that came into our class. Um, not, only, not only us, but also particularly the bullies in the class got really vocal, quite, quite arrogant, pushing the envelope quite a bit. And so it was, a, it was an interesting time, really, to see how this poor student teacher was was uh, was going through this uh, this process of trying to reclaim authority, authority that he didn't have. And at first, I think he started by thinking, this is gonna be a day of great teaching. Uh, and slowly the goal changed as they carried on to just be a day that he wants to survive. Um, I felt very sorry for him. We were only about seven years old. <laughs> <Not quite. laughs> we, we, were, we were rowdy teenagers. 
Um, but, but he had one secret weapon. And this secret weapon, oh my goodness, this secret weapon's name was Mr. Swanepoel. And Mr. Swanepoel, let me tell you, Mr. Swanepoel probably kept brawl cream uh, in business single-handedly. Uh, he had, uh, he had a, a thin black tie on every day with short-sleeved uh, shirt. And I think he ironed the, the tie after he put it on. In fact, the shirt he ironed after he put it on. He had this sort of stare that could burn a hole in a piece of sheet metal. Uh, and whenever he was called in, uh, there was great fear in the classroom. In fact, I remember as he comes in, you, you stop thinking about uh, feeble and unnecessary things like breathing. You just stop breathing. You just sat coldly staring in front of you, not moving a, a, a muscle, not an eyelid, not a lip. You're not adjusting anything. You're simply just paying attention. But the one thing he could do, the one thing he really could do was to teach, to teach maths. That's what Mr. Swanepoel, that's why he was the deputy head of the school. That's what he was good at. And um, it was kind of an interesting experience. You sit in the class and the student teacher has been trying to teach you maths and your head is swirling around. You feel in bondage to maths. I'm sure many of you felt that before, where, where you just can't see what's going on. You can't figure out this problem. You can't do it. You just feel you can't do it. And, and then this very skilled teacher comes in uh, and because he's very aware of your lack of knowledge uh, and he's got such a deep understanding of what he's teaching you, he can teach with great authority. He can bring you along. And before you know it, you're flying. You're just flying through the equations. You're just flying through the formulas and you feel like you've got some sense of freedom as you're doing maths. Now, Jesus came into this synagogue, into this classroom, and he came and he exercised authority. And it wasn't the sort of, sort of biting authority that Mr. Swanepoel had as he came into the, of course it wasn't. Jesus came into the synagogue and as he was teaching, people were astonished. Now the word astonished is a little bit misleading. We'll come to it later. They were astonished when Jesus taught because Jesus had great authority and the word astonished and authority doesn't always go together. People weren't looking at Jesus as if he was a child prodigy, you know, seven-year-old playing a piano uh, amazingly well. That's not, people weren't like shocked and amazed that he's He's a great skill at expanding the scriptures. They were shocked because he had this authority. And he was teaching the people in a way that the truth came with real power to bear on their hearts. In fact, as the bullies were quiet in our class when Mr. Swanepoel came in, in this example, the demons are quiet when Jesus comes in. His authority is real. Now, I come across this funny story. It's a friend of mine, uh, David friend who told this story, and I won't be able to tell it as nearly as, as good as he did, but he talks about the authority that Jesus had, and he says Jesus's authority was intrinsic, was just part of who he was, uh, and, and for you to get that the authority was part of who Jesus was, just his sheer presence had authority, shocking authority. He, he contrasts it to a, to a, to a man from from the government who comes to a farm, a farmer's fields, and he says to him, look, I'm here to, to come and make sure that you're not growing illegal crops, and I'm, I'm here to make sure that everything you do is above board, and, and so the farmer, looking a little bit, uh, little bit annoyed by all of this, he says, well, you're welcome to check the whole farm, you can do what you need to do, I'm going to carry on with my work in the workshop over there, you go and do your thing, and then this, uh, this uh, it's just as the man from the government walks away, the farmer reminds him, he says, look, I, I, 
really, I, I just say you shouldn't go into that field over there. Just stay out of that field. And of course, the man from the government think, oh, that's where you need to be. That's where that's where he's hiding something. I'll go there. And so, first thing he does, he goes into that field, and um, and uh, as he's um, as he's walking through this field, he suddenly realizes that he is being he's being chased. He's being chased by a bull. There's a bull in this field, and that's why the, 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 the farmer said, stay out of that field. And so, uh, so the farmer is working in his workshop, and he's hearing this high-pitched high pitched squeal of this man as he's running through the field, running away from this bull. And he leaves his tools, and he runs out of the workshop to go and see what it's all about. You know, it's a life-threatening a, a life situation. And so he, he hears this man, and he sees him running towards him, and he sees the bull right behind him, and he shouts to the man from the government, Hey, hey, show him, show him your papers, show him your badge. Just show him that you're a man from the government. He'll stop running. <laughs> of course, it's nonsense. It won't happen because this man from the government had delegated authority. He didn't have authority in and of himself. He could not tell the bull to stop. He could not show him the papers that will cause the bull to stop running because he had no authority. He was just, he was just a man in the field for the bull. And Jesus says, well, the scribes that were teaching the people in the synagogue uh, that day, they were a bit like a bit like that. They delegated authority and people knew they didn't have authority in and of themselves. And, and you'll do well to view me like that as well, to know that I don't have authority in and of myself. I, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a mouthpiece that the Lord has appointed to be bringing the, the word of power, the word of life to bear on your soul. It's got nothing to do with me. I don't want to own any of that authority for myself. This comes with the office of being an elder and a, and a, and a minister in God's church, but it's, it's not mine. Uh, and so Jesus has this great authority, and, and really the, the demon-possessed man becomes a bit of a picture to the people of Jesus' authority. Did you see what Jesus does to drive out this demon? This man uh, presents, and the demon inside of him presents, and he's, he's assaulting Jesus, and he's angry, and he's screaming. Uh, and what does Jesus do? Is there some special ritual? Does he sort of say, say loud words? Does he, does, he, does he perform some great exorcism with thunder and lightning and water and show? Is it Basically, Jesus just says, shut up, get down. That's all. Jesus just does that. He just says, be quiet and leave. And because Jesus has this authority, it's not delegated. It's in and of himself. And, and, and this, this devil, well, he knows, he knows that Jesus is indeed this authority. And he just leaves. Jesus had this liberating authority and the demon possessed man becomes a picture to all of us as we see the demon leave him we need to understand that jesus authority as it comes into our lives it it will do the same with us his word of life has the power to displace our sin and the evil that's lurking in our hearts uh, and before you you think that this man this demon possessed man is very different from all of us uh, it's it's not the case it's not a difference in kind, because you know and I know our hearts are full of deceit. We're ready to lie. We're ready to cover up. We're, we're ready to, to look out for ourselves and our own needs at the cost of others. It's not a difference in kind, the demon-possessed man and us. It's just a, a difference of 
degree just because the, the seeds that were in his heart have been watered by the evil one to grow into what it is now but those same seeds are in my heart and i stand ready to to act on them if it's not for the grace of god so Jesus has this great authority and he exercises his authority. And before we go on to the second point, I think I need to apply this a little bit to our current predicament with this coronavirus. Christ has authority. He has authority over demons and evil spirits. He has authority over, over heaven and earth. That is what he says in Matthew 28, that he is, uh, he is ruling over heaven and earth. And that includes microorganisms like the coronavirus. A question that we might legitimately ask is then, is Jesus the author of evil, suffering? Is he the one that uh, brought this into the world, that's unleashed this terrible thing on us? And, and the Bible's answer is simply just no. He, he did not, he's not the author of evil. For that story, we've got to go back to the very beginning of the Bible. And the very beginning of the Bible, uh, we meet a man, uh, Adam, who was made good, and he was placed in a good creation that wasn't hostile to him at all. He was made, uh, and he was put in that garden with his wife Eve, uh, and, and they were called to be obedient to God. Except to test their obedience, God placed this tree in the middle of the garden. A rule. And unfortunately, Adam proved there that he was a wasn't quite a good idiot, but a tree idiot. He went after the tree. He went to the tree, the one place that they weren't supposed to go, the, the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. That is the fruit that he ate and uh, Eve ate. And with that came this universal curse that was unleashed on the world. It was a sheer consequence of Adam, Adam's disobedience. Now, Jesus shows and exercises his authority throughout all of scripture in this way that every time the consequences of our bad decisions came to bear on our lives, he takes that which is evil and he turns it around for good. He, he, he did that in Joseph's life. You'll remember his brothers kidnapped him and they put him in a, in a, in a watering hole and sold him into slavery. And then later on, he became uh, just second in command of all of Egypt and thereby saved all of Israel through his careful planning and he said to his brothers what you intended for evil God used for good God uses all of the evil that's been unleashed on the world and he uses them for good and you might think Kruger that's really arrogant for you to say this at this very moment they're building a hospital that will house first two and then four thousand people in the Excel center we're talking about the deaths of 20,000 people. We'd be lucky, the chief medical officer says, if we get away with 20,000 deaths. This suffering is real. And all I can say on the basis of scripture is just God intends to use this that is wrong for good. It is right that our hearts say, this is wrong. This is not supposed to be like this. I hate this. It is right that we feel like that. But God is also reminding us that they did it to me. They killed me on that cross, and I used that for good. So I, I, I'm calling you up to, to great faith, to trust that the Lord will use this terrible thing that's happening for good. Now let's look at the second point. Jesus' authority is shocking. So Jesus exercises great authority. Now Jesus' authority is shocking. Uh, and we saw that Jesus 
Jesus shocked them, not because he drove out the demon. That was only the second thing that shocked him. You want to go back to the text, you'll see the first thing that shocked him is that he taught as someone who had authority. That's what they find astonishing. That's what they find shocking. In fact, the demon-possessed man is, is, is weak in comparison to, to the shock that they had when Jesus came into this synagogue and he starts teaching and, and essentially picks up this demon-possessed man as a prop in his teaching of his own great authority. It was, it was shocking for them to hear Jesus preach like this. It was shocking because it was uncomfortable. It bristled. It, it upset them to hear Jesus speak in such absolute terms. And perhaps if I can speak for a moment to those that's following the stream who aren't Christians, you might think, and perhaps you signed up to the stream this morning, you think Christianity, I know what it is. Christianity is a form of psych psychobabble, a sign of, of kind of a thing that brings great comfort to people who are weak and who are struggling. And, you know, they get away from the struggles of it all. And with a nice message with some music and some prayers, they'll feel a little bit better. That is not what Jesus was all about. Jesus was not about comforting, although he did comfort people and he does comfort people. He, he is not preaching to his audience saying to them, they're there now, don't worry, it'll be fine. That's not what he's saying. He's claiming absolute authority. Absolute authority. And this demon-possessed man, he knows that when Jesus comes to exercise his shocking authority, it is the kingdom of light that is opposing the kingdom of darkness. And there's, these things can have nothing to do with one another. That's what this demon-possessed man, this demon inside of him is saying. He says, there's, there's, no, there's no compromise here. We can't fudge these things. We can't somehow come to an agreement to just disagree. He says, what can you, the Holy One of God, have to do with me, uh, an unclean spirit? And the, and the evil spirit knows what Jesus plans to do. He plans to destroy him. And he says as much. And so that's what you need to know as Jesus is speaking to you from his word. Whenever you read it, whenever you hear it preached, he's claiming absolute authority and he's and he's demanding, he's demanding your absolute submission. That's scary, but he can do it. And you know why? Because of the last point. Because Jesus' authority brings great and absolute freedom. That's why our, our sinful nature is, is, is just the same as the demon-possessed man. It's just more accentuated in the demon-possessed man, but, but you can make your sinful desires your master, and you can do their bidding. That's how you can live. But you know how that snuffs out your humanity. You know how that warps you and, and, and woos you, how that makes you into something that, that you're not designed to be. It's only as we come to Jesus that we can see his authority brings great freedom. So what do I mean with that? Well, we've said earlier and we can see it around us is that this world that we live in is beautiful. It's teeming with life. If you look out into my garden, I've chosen the spot where there's a little bit of life. See the perfect green grass in the picture? It's been perfectly clipped. There is nothing unnatural about that glass, grass at all. We have been maintaining it day and night throughout the winter. No, the, the trees that's out there, they're beautiful. They're teeming with life. Perhaps you saw my dog earlier just jumping around there teeming with life this creation that god has given us is beautiful 
it's it's wonderful but it's not neutral it's not totally friendly there are things out to get us why our creation is under the curse death is real suffering is real illness is real car accidents are real earthquakes are real tsunamis are real plane crashes floods and pandemics but jesus brings a freedom that that makes all of this stuff pale into comparison and now before i explain to you how jesus does this we can easily do that let me just give you a hint of what that looks like and this stopped in my tracks when i came across it the first time it is of an english missionary named alan gardner and in 1851 he was on his way to south america uh, on a mission trip and so he and his companions tried their very best to get to south america but got stranded on a remote island uh, and there they struggled to stay alive for a long time but eventually they all succumbed to starvation it's a horrible way to die as you can imagine far away from everybody far away from loved ones hungry and thirsty a, a horrible horrible way to go but when they finally found them they found a notebook next to him and um and in this notebook on the last page he has written uh, the words from psalm 34 verse 10 and this is what it says it says the young lions do lack and they suffer hunger but they that seek the lord shall not want any good thing shall not want for any good thing underneath it he wrote his last words this man starving hunger and thirst alone in broken handwriting he wrote I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. That's his very last words as he lay dying. As we talk about the great freedom that faith in Jesus Christ brings in the face of fear, you need to know this, that when your heart has been enarmored by the gospel to such a degree that you can face starvation and death with great confidence, that the Lord has been good to you. It's then that you can say you're truly free. It is then that you can say that you have truly been liberated from the bondage of sin and death and its curse. And it's this that the Father is working on in our hearts at the moment. Because Jesus is here to liberate us from the terrifying, the shocking uh, bondage of sin through his own terrifying and shocking power. It was Jesus that said in Matthew 10, 28, he says, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. How can Jesus say that? How can Jesus say that the one to fear is his Father, but if you come and hide in him, you will be safe? How can Jesus say that? Why can Jesus say that? Because the demon wants correct 
That's why Jesus can say that. The demon comes out and he says to Jesus, have you come to destroy us? Do you know what Jesus' answer is? His answer is, yes, I came to destroy you. Yes, I came to destroy you. Why? 1 John 3, 8 says, for this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the evil one. That's why Jesus came, Genesis 3, 15, to step, to crush the serpent's head. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to destroy evil. And that victory, that great victory that he accomplished when he defeated evil's strongest weapon, death, that victory came at the cost of his son. It was an act of shocking love. You know, when you receive a gift from someone, and first you wonder why are they giving you a gift, and then you open the gift, and it is far, far, far more generous than you ever thought. It's, it's you're ashamed to receive such a gift. That's a, that's a weak little example of what we should feel like when we see what God has given to us in his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us a gift. And as you take this gift and you open it up, it comes out as you look at it. You, it's just God's unfading love. Precious, precious. Nothing on earth can buy this. Nothing on earth can can create this you can't get this anywhere it is salvation eternal salvation given to you as a gift all you have to do to take to take it to make your own is is to take it is to say i i'm ashamed that you would love me this much i've not loved you this much but but with the with a terrified quivering hand you reach out and you take it and you say but but thank you i, I will take this this is is mine god's gift to us in his son is a gift of love and it came at great cost i did not get this interest uh, this the following insight on my own a friend of mine helped me to see this and he said it's interesting when the when the demon left the man he left him with a loud cry the text says you know there's another loud cry in the Bible. You can read about that in Mark 15, same gospel. I'll read it to you now. And you'll hear the, the loud cry. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. So Jesus gave himself. He gave himself in order to accomplish what follows in this passage. The curtain in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. He did this. He, he breathed his last so that there will be no separation between us and God. So there'll be no separation between you and the life which is in God. So that you too will be released to be a missionary for God that is unafraid of death. That just lives with great confidence to know that death's final weapon has been defeated. God has exercised this great authority on your behalf to liberate you and to free you.
please would you see that this shocking authority that he takes is authority over your heart. He does not want form religion. He does not want you to be the devil in the pew just sitting there comfortable with the message that's being preached to you. He wants to disrupt you. He, he wants to upend you. He wants to undo you so that he can get hold of your heart, so that he can enarm your heart with the freedom that there is in Christ. So come. That's the appeal of scripture. Come and take the gift. Come and take the gift by giving your heart. This is the only way you'll ever be free. Let me pray that uh, we will all do it, believers and non-believers, that we'll afresh come to the Lord and say, here is my heart. Take it and steal it onto you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that, that we, for those of us that are Christians, have been sitting under the preaching of your word, playing religion, playing with your authority playing with the interesting things that you were saying like people attending a synagogue and and uh and just listening to what's being said and now you've upended us you've you've pushed us into our homes here we are sitting in front of a computer screen listening to someone preach at us uh, and we've got the freedom to to finally just give ourselves to you fully and completely without fear of of looking out of place or or, or feeling awkward this is what you're offering to us. You're offering to us the gospel of your son. Your love is on offer for us. And, and all you require of us is, is to take it, to take this gift and to make it our own. So our prayer is this morning, Father, that you would enable us through your spirit to take hold of the gospel, to take it into our hearts and to say, I won't fear death anymore. I won't fear illness or suffering. My father, my father counted the hairs on my head and death is no match for him he has defeated death in his son and he is saying to me that i have been forsaken so that you will never be forsaken those are the words that we grab hold of this morning in faith put our faith in your son and we ask come and give us great confidence in his name we pray this amen